Yeah, some of them are cute. But they're all boring. That's universally true. Yeah, kids are bad. Yeah. If only they just had intellect and everything developed. Welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. Today I am not only with the certified AWS person as my co-host, but today Nathan is also going to be our release manager because the topic we're talking about is Agile. Also, hello Nathan, how are you? <laughs> hey Ken, how's it going? <laughs> uh, um, it's, it's going great. It's just, I thought of that intro on the spot yeah. and I just had to do it. You know, I, I would argue, but at this point, I just have to accept whatever titles I'm given. Uh, you, you earned them. Yeah, technically, yeah. so for those listening, I am actually the release manager for my team. I, I have no intentions of release managing this podcast, but uh, we will be discussing Agile, so that is why it was mentioned. Exactly. And in a way, he does release manage. He schedules... He prepares everything for prod. He ships them to prod. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast would not exist without internet and Nathan. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and Gian, because, you know, you're the one that actually wants oh, to true. record each episode. And I just show up. That's true. Uh, how was your week? Did you find anything interesting, frustrating, cool? Um, I did. Uh, so, uh, cool stuff is... I can't believe it's not butter. now I'm learning about this. Yes, that. Um, but I, I'm, I've been using Beanstalk for six years now. And you've, you've probably heard me nerd about it quite a bit. It's one of the greatest AWS services ever. And now I love it more because today I learned it natively supports blue-green deployments. So instead of you deploying to two different environments, switching out C names be behind the scenes, on Beanstalk, you could just swap out uh, through the UI, or I'm sure the CLI supports it too. Uh, but Beanstalk lets you swap um, the DNS between two web server environments. And it's extremely fast and really cool. So today I was able to migrate off of a platform, uh, a de deprecated platform to something new with minimal effort because of how cool it is. And another thing I'll add on to the coolness is it used to have this thing called the multi-Docker deployments where you had to define this Docker and AWS JSON file with all sorts of configurations and they have deprecated it now. So my first reaction was this is frustrating and I hate this. Why would you deprecate anything ever? <laughs> Support everything for life. Um, but then I learned they deprecated it because now they just support docker compose.yaml files out of the box. And that just made me so happy because I had I got to delete a bunch of files today, which is a, some of my favorite commits incorporate deleting a whole bunch of You'll files. You'll have to see it. So exactly, the red, the red is good unless it's in my trading account. <laughs> so yeah, it was just fun to watch and learn about. So yeah, I did that migration today. And my Wish account, Wish.com account, apparently um, was try somebody tried to break into it. Uh, so either my email got hacked and it's, it's on some email list somewhere and hackers think it's a good target, um, or some sites have leaked some data. So, because this is the second attack that has happened on one of my accounts that I'm aware of in the last two months. 
there may be others people have successfully gotten into that I haven't used in years. Um, but anything that I regularly use is pretty well protected. Uh, this is not a challenge for hackers, but I think it's pretty well protected. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the cool and weird, frustrating thing. So if any of you are listening, go go check your accounts, you know, especially if they're wish.com accounts. It's a shopping site. People could be using credit cards. I haven't ordered anything from there in five years, but yeah, I guess I have nothing to worry about, but stuff. It's bad. Don't get hacked. Yeah, it sounds bad. How was your week? <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, bad. My week was pretty good. Managed to mm-hmm. spend some time with friends, which is always nice. Spend some time outside, the usual stuff. But also for my notes of something cool is when I was in university, maybe even high school, but I think just university, I first came across Lindsey Sterling, who's a violinist. And... I was, this is actually related to some of my do-betters from last week. I was on some dating apps and one of the girls that came up was playing violin. And I was like, oh, I haven't listened to Lindsey Sterling in a long time. So I started listening to her stuff and she's, one, gotten a lot better in the couple of years since I last listened to her. And she just put out this past, sometime in the past week, a new music video for Masquerade which was on the Artemis album. And I've been listening to the Artemis album in general just a lot. I listened to it while I was at the gym this morning. And uh, as always, her music video is great. So I'm going to include that as a link in the show notes. But if you're not listening to Lindsey Sterling, you got to do it. Go look, put, on, put on The Guardian, the music video, and if you don't get goosebumps or chills or something, then there's something wrong with you because it is excellent content. And this is a fact because it's Correct. your opinion. Yep. Okay. I, it's one of the nice things about having this show. It, it just uh, converts all opinions directly to facts. It's, it's a opinion to fact.ca.org. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Trademarking that so we can buy it later. Uh, or, or maybe it'll be on our merch, you know. At some point, we'll put out merch. Please pay us so we can make merch. Yeah, both um, you listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but damn, yeah, I, I agree with the, the Lindsay Sterling comment. She is awesome, and if you don't like her, there is something wrong with <laughs> Cool. That's all I had in my list for, for today. Not a whole lot of stuff from the past week. Hey, that's... You hung out with people. That's like a huge flex these days. Yeah. So good for yeah, you. It's a big, big time of year. Uh, July's already looking good. Hey, remember when we released this year? We kept we said on many podcasts, greatest year ahead. This will be the greatest <laughs> year ever. And I think it's it's just coming true. I hope so. The the second half of the yeah. year, it's gonna be great. Speaking of which, when you say what we were releasing earlier this year. Different times, types of development release at different cadences, and we're going to talk about that today. Yeah. Wow, that was such a good segue. Like, I'm giving you some feedback so you can incorporate into your later release. Um, <laughs> future, future segues. So, yeah, should I introduce Agile or shall you? Well, I'm not a release manager, so. So, all right. For those of you who haven't heard about it. 
agile. <laughs> By this point, everybody knows about it, I think. But there are different approaches to building software. And the quote-unquote traditional approach is waterfall, where you get a bunch of requirements up front, and you build for months, years maybe at a time, and at the end you say, here's our product exactly as you asked for it. Uh, hope you like it. And there is a push that is developed over the last 10, 20 years, something like that, for a more iterative approach. And that's been formalized into a couple different strategies. The primary one, at least where you and I have been working, is called Scrum. And generally speaking, it is Agile. So there are a bunch of tenets of Agile. You can get really deep into the weeds on all these different people who think they own Agile and what it means. But in practice, what it means is just having a shorter series of development to product cycles. So you get some requirements, you build out those requirements, and you show them back to the stakeholders, and the stakeholders get a chance to adjust their requirements. So they'll adjust their priorities, they'll adjust the actual requirements, and it provides a lot of benefits. And overall, despite all the things I'm going to complain about in this episode, it is, I think, just objectively speaking, a better strategy for building software. The uh, that said, there are issues, and I'm looking forward to talking about them, because this was my suggestion for an episode. It's largely going to be an airing of grievances, I think, uh, for me at least. And every team I've worked on has done an agile software development strategy. So I don't even have a waterfall strategy compared to, but trying to imagine it sounds un like essentially unfeasible. Uh, what about you? Does that generally reflect your understanding of Agile and Waterfall? Yeah, yeah, the the nice umbrella or the, the, the golden aim for it, you know, the whole perfect world where people are just like, hey, we thought of something, can you build it? You build it a little bit and they're like, hmm, what we thought may not have been the best thing, so let's work on it together. Uh, that's the thing I love more about Agile, the fact that people can admit their mistakes or find flaws in their original ideas and work together to improve upon them. Uh, unfortunately, just like the real world, that doesn't work. Uh, so yes, there will be a lot of grievances <laughs> being said in this episode, um, but but the, the idea of Agile is quite nice because I have worked on Waterfall. Um, as a developer, I liked it um, <laughs> as overall, somebody who cared about the product and the thing I was building, probably not so much. Um, but I was left alone for weeks just to build something. So that was really cool. And we will talk about different methodologies. Uh, I guess if we're mostly talking about Agile, uh, we should just touch on what Waterfall is because we will be probably comparing it to sure. back and forth Go here ahead. and there. Um, oh man, I was gonna just pass it to you, but all right. Uh, in Waterfall, as Nathan already briefly mentioned, uh, People will come to you and say, this is my idea, this is what I want. And then you plan it out. You plan it completely from beginning to end saying, these are all the screens, this is the entire flow, this is how everything will work. And the client says, sounds great, see you in a couple of months. And then you go ahead into your wild weeds, build all of it, come back, give it to them, and then they say, this doesn't work, I don't like it. 
and then you say this is what you told me to build this is the requirements I built it to what you said and then you're both unhappy um, but you got paid <laughs> and we're left alone for a few months so good <laughs> yes I think what's key is what you mentioned is that if you're not investing in the success of the product or keeping the stakeholder happy being left alone sounds excellent but if you're going to be at you know, if you are a product company, for example, and you have to maintain this product for years and years, the benefit of not being bothered for a longer period of time is going to come with whatever cadence you have of reality checks where that's not what people want. And the longer that you're not, you go without checking in to see what people actually want, the more false starts you're going to have. So with something like agile typically the default that people will end up using is this process called scrum and you have a scrum team so the scrum team is meant to be a few different things they're meant to have some developers that are so-called cross-functional and that means that everything that comes into their workflow which is usually managed by a sprint board of some sort. So you'll have a bunch of tasks in the form of tickets. So you have to do all these different things, complete these stories, build these features, fix these bugs, whatever it is. The idea is that everybody on the team should be able to grab any of those tickets so that you can project more easily on how much work can get done. The idea being that if you have one person who can do, say, the server-side work, and then four people that can do front-end work, if you end up with a sprint that's heavily loaded on server, you know the bottleneck is going to be that one person. Whereas if you have a cross-functional team, you can share that work and it doesn't really matter who takes it, doesn't matter what's in the sprint, you know everybody can work on it, it should be fine. Again, another theory versus practice. Found, sounds great in theory, but or in theory everything's, uh, everything is the same as practice, but in practice it's not. So it just doesn't work out quite that way but that's the general principle. So you'll on, as, uh, alongside the dev team, you'll have, for example, a scrum master and they're responsible for organizing a bunch of stuff, uh, running the meetings, unblocking the dev team. You'll have a product owner. They're generally just meant to be the domain expert but sometimes they can also provide product vision of some sort. It really depends on the team. And you may have, if, you, if they're doing more of a product vision, you may have a separate expert in the room. So maybe they're an industry expert and they provide context or they're interfacing with the actual customers, whatever it is. But everybody works together on this singular team to help move work through the sprint backlog to get work done. And it will be done typically at a cadence of about two weeks. Some people have done one week, some people have done even shorter. Sometimes it's three weeks, sometimes it's four. Generally though, it seems to be about target two and see how it goes from there. The idea being that it gives you enough time to get some work done. And then when you've got that work done, it gives you something to actually show for the work so that you can bring it back and get feedback. Uh, do you have anything to add to the basics of Scrum? No, um, I mean besides the, the just the development workflow where everybody's supposed to be a full stack developer, 
and I mean this day and age, if you're not an expert in everything all the time, um, then what's even the point? <laughs> Just throw away your ergonomic keyboard. Um, yeah, shed off your latest Mac. You're not a developer anymore. Um, but yeah, that that ends up being the sort of problem where you have to now account for the skill sets that will be missing, uh, or sometimes you plan sprints not according to the work that logically needs to get done next, but what people are gone on vacation, so you can still get a whole bunch of work done. Because um, then you have to sort of prioritize and shift, which in a way is still agile, because uh, it does, one of the things in Manifesto is you, isn't it something like you, you respond to change as opposed to some sort of fixed plan, um, something like that, it's in the Agile Manifesto. Admittedly, it's been uh, it's three years since I last looked at the Agile Manifesto, yeah. fortunately. I, yeah, I made notes, uh, I'm on, they're somewhere in my page, um, but it'll, like, I'll, I'll bring them out okay. at the end so that, you know, because we want, this is, this, this has got to provide some value, yeah. you know, this is yeah. Agile, we're continuously building on this podcast, mm -hmm. so we'll, we'll have that at the end, um, but yeah, and then, yeah, besides that, nothing else, um, it is the, like, you, you would think having different developers with cross-functional skills or the fact that they're lacking in some skills in there could be bottleneck. But I personally think the problem that really screws over sometimes development or the flow of the Agile project movement is development is a multi-people role. But project manager, product owner, you know, those subject matter ex experts, they're, they end up being like singular people most of the time. And if your project manager is off on vacation, um, good luck finding the next best priority. Uh, ideally, they would have told you what's, well, you know, what should be the next best thing and how to prioritize backlog things properly. But they win the lottery, they leave, you're pretty much screwed. Sure, you can develop something. You have a full, six full stack developers sitting there, but you don't know what to build. You don't know what to build next. Uh, and that's where I think like Agile sort of falls apart. Um, for to some extent, but then you can make an argument that works for any case or any product development methodology. So, yeah, it would be nice to have redundancy, but at some point you can't afford to have that much redundancy. Uh, but what I was more getting at was the process itself, because I do want to get to things that don't work. So one of the remaining mm -hmm. pieces in the typical Scrum prescription, which is again a bit funny. Agile is meant to be very dynamic and you make what you want of it and then Scrum is typically, with its certifications and everything, fairly prescriptive on how you do things. But there are these things called ceremonies and so you'll have your stand-up meeting at the beginning of each day where you do some combination of giving an update, reporting on what you did yesterday, mentioning blockers, really depends on your team how disenfranchised everybody is with stand-ups and what everyone is currently feeling is necessary to share. Uh, but I will say that with everybody working from home right now, stand-ups are really important, more so than they used to be for me. So in past teams, I always thought they were a total waste of time that just interrupted my morning because we wouldn't say anything. Like I sit beside these people. I don't need a stand-up to find out that they are blocked by the thing we just talked about. Whereas when everybody's separated, it's really useful to have everybody on a call at once, 
talking about what they're working on and what they're blocked on and people can ask questions. So that's been really good. Uh, so there's stand-up, that's a typical thing. There will be, what are they called now? They're not called grooming sessions anymore. They're called something else. But Really? That's what I thought yeah, they Yeah, they renamed it because it was confusing for other languages, I think. Um, but anyway, typically you go through something that's traditionally called backlog grooming, where you look at all these tickets that don't have estimates, because that's another important part of this. We have to give all of your tickets estimates that are just point-based, not time-based, and that allows product to imagine that they can project uh, how much work you can get done in the future. It's a futile, fake endeavor, yeah. but they think they can. So it makes them feel good. Yeah, you estimate them not based on time, but these points help them estimate the amount of time it'll take to finish Correct. things. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. so dumb. <laughs> anyway, they, so there were these, <laughs> these meetings where the, a few people on the team will get together and estimate how many points this, these different tickets are. And most importantly, they'll flesh out requirements, things like acceptance criteria, the actual deliverables, what the details are, if there are mocks, where are the mocks, these sorts of things. And beyond that, there'll also be a ret sprint retro meeting to say, how did the sprint go? What went well? What should we do better next time? Anything we should try for next sprint? How's everybody feeling? These sorts of things. And then a sprint review. And this is really the only one that I think is fully necessary and somehow seems to be the least used ceremony of all of them, which is showing what you did to the stakeholders. So we do these very much at the end of every sprint on the team I'm currently on. And it's super useful because there's a combination of things. One, you get to see people actually getting excited about something that you built because they're really happy that something, you know, a bug is fixed, a new feature they've been waiting months for is finally out. Uh, the new UI is more intuitive and faster and they like it. So you get to hear them actually vocalize these things that otherwise you don't know about. You also get the negative feedback. People look at it and they say, I thought it was going to do this. Or they look at it and they get confused and they think, so if I click on that, is that just going to delete it? They're like, no, 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 that's supposed to archive it. It's like, well, that I've, looking at it now, I think it's going to delete it. So customers are going to be confused. And you go, oh, okay, I guess we have to revisit how we, how we design this. So you get those really important feedback loops. And that's the critical part of an agile development process and yet for some reason it's all the other ones that seem to get more attention. So putting all those together, you have the standard Scrum framework. You've got a Scrum team, all these different people on it. They work through this backlog that gets loaded and product tends to look at, or the business side I should say, will look at how many points you've completed per block of time. So a sprint, typically two weeks, something like that. and try to project how much work you can get done in the next sprint. And that's how they'll decide how much to pull out from a hopefully prioritized backlog of work. Again, all of this, great in theory, but when the rubber hits the road, things fall apart. So I've been talking for a bit. Is there anything you want to jump in on before I start saying what reality looks like? No, I think I'm interested in the reality because that's all... That's all the ceremonies in theory. That's what they're meant for. Um, and then I'm assuming you, you're going to go over every single one of those ceremonies. <laughs> Probably yes. Because I would okay, like that. sure. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Sure. Let's do that. All right. So let's start with yeah, stand up. Stand up. So stand up. 
as I mentioned, typically is such a waste of time. So the idea is you're supposed to mention blockers to your team. So blockers, things that you need from somebody else. Maybe you need a new piece of infrastructure brought up. So you need to raise it to someone who the ops team will actually listen to because you don't get listened to on, in your company and has to be escalated, these sorts of things. But there's no point to having a meeting for that because you can just do that. And if you wait for stand up, for one, then why are you waiting? Just message whoever you need to get a hold of. If you're on a small enough team for it to be an effective like scrum team, it's not gonna have 40 people on it. So if you're reporting, if the person that you are contacting to escalate something, who's the head of your team, has so many people reporting to them that they can't get back to you about a blocker, then you have a more, you have a bigger issue that you can't fix with stand-up. Because after that meeting, when they find out that you're blocked, they still have too many things to do. But more specifically, the number of times I've had teams say, it's not just supposed to be an update, especially if they just took like a ceremony or read some article online, or sorry, certification, they read some article online or something, and they're like, probably also the scrum master and the product owner and the you know, product manager all in one. Like, I, I don't just want this to be about what you did yesterday and what you're gonna do today. This is not a status update. Like, cool, then what is it? Because there's clearly no point to this meeting. We just tell each other what we did yesterday, which they know, because they had to review that code. What we're gonna do today, which they know, because if I didn't finish it yesterday and it's, it's my face is on the ticket, that's clearly what I'm working on. The only benefit I can see, again, if you're not in a remote situation like we are now, the only benefit I can see to this is having to report what you did yesterday to encourage people to actually get work done. Because if they got no work done, they have nothing to report on. It's, it happens too many days in a row, people are gonna be confused and be like, are you doing anything? But that's not a problem you should solve with a ceremony that the entire team has to attend especially if you're dealing with time zones and it ends up being at a weird time for everybody. Like mine is at 12.30 for certain people in the company. So they're not starting their day with that ceremony. It's just popping up and interrupting whatever they were working on, especially because it's in the middle of their lunch because it's at 9.30 for us. So it's all, it's all pointless, really. I don't see, see why we have stand-up. Uh, but public shaming is the best way to motivate people. I've seen Game of Thrones and I've seen a whole bunch of other media content where it seems like that's the best way. You just boo somebody in public and they're like, all right, I'll do that. <laughs> As opposed to themselves owning that they're doing uh -huh. crappy and they need to do better. I suppose you're right. You know, maybe, maybe we should waste these hours and hours of employee time on shaming one person on the team that everybody knows isn't getting work done. Exactly. And I don't know, there's this, um, because of the fact that people don't like these stand-ups, my favorite thing is people then try to find different ways of doing the stand-up more fun than just eliminating it out altogether. Uh, like there's, there's these, I think called crunch, not crunch. Um, uh, what's that thing called planking plank stand-ups where everybody on the team is planking. So stand-ups don't go on for too long <laughs> because they don't like it. But it turns out everybody just ends up with six-pack abs because stand-ups never run too short. 
Um, but but yeah, it's like it's it's silly things like that. Um, but yeah, daily stand-ups, I, I don't agree with. Um, I do think like twice a week is good, uh, which is what my current team does. It's the most effective stand-up they've had. And yeah, it works exactly the same way where if something got stuck, you're not going to wait two days uh, to report it because if you are, they will question you and how you're like just being lazy. So you get all of that asynchronous work done so that during the meeting when you're reporting on it, other people on the team who are not probably checking your Jira or your project manager who's probably doing a hundred different things or if they're managing different projects gets their updates that way. So they know where things are or if somebody's going on PTO in a week and they need to plan something else. Um, it's more just the team's FYI and the standups are like limited to 15 minutes. If it starts hitting 15 minutes, my manager's like, guys, we've had time, bye. And then we just hang up the call. He's just like, if there, if anybody needs to catch up or talk about something, I'll I can leave the meeting open, or you can start your own. Yeah, it's and it's, that it's works kind of great. weird for me complaining about stand stand ups being a pain right now because my team does them really well, uh, and we only do once a week where the mobile and server team are all together. So each Monday, it's one meeting with everybody but the rest of the week they're separate so the server team meets it's five something like that of us and it typically doesn't run very long but again it's the only time that we're having a scheduled meeting with those five people so it's very easy for us to just chat a little bit find out if anybody's confused by something um, because it's a small team we end actually I think in a recent episode, I talked about how everybody had their own re responsibility on the team. So they've like, uh, essentially are bridges to other parts of the company. At those points, sometimes it is nice to be able to say, so-and-so, can you help get this in front of ops? I'm blocked on this. I'm still blocked on this. I know we talked about the, we messaged about this yesterday. I dropped a conversation or a, a message in the Slack operations channel. They haven't messed, uh, done anything about it can you get that to them that's sometimes a good thing to do if you've forgotten to send the message but generally you just remember what you're doing and you just send those messages um, but there was a time when you and I were working together and stand-ups were just the most pointless thing I've ever seen we got to the we experimented at one time where it was only blockers and that was my favorite stupid meeting ever because it was the stupidest everybody would just go in a circle and just be like no blockers. And the next person will go and say, no, no, not blocked by anything. Same, same, same. And that was it. That was the meeting. And it just highlighted how pointless this meeting was. Uh, didn't waste a lot of time, but it just showed, yeah, there's simply nothing to say. So I, I don't want to drag out stand-ups too much longer, but I think. But that would be so ironic and fun. Um, but all right, we'll move on I have, to... I have real frustrations with other things, so... <laughs> okay, so this is this is what happens in every stand-up. Let's take... Or every sprint. So let's take a step back. Let's talk about sprint planning. Yeah, I don't know if I have too many things to say about sprint planning being a problem. You... At least the way that my team does it right now, the backlog's already in shape. We essentially just look at... What they actually create a mock, the business side creates a mock sprint for the upcoming sprint and just starts loading that. 
And, uh, and then we'll have carryover from our current sprint. So we always have carryover. Most of our sprint is carryover every single time. Remember that for later in the conversation. Uh, <clears throat> and then we just look at what's going to be in it. We rip out a bunch of stuff that we can't fit into the sprint and then we start. So there's really not that much that goes into the sprint planning. It's already been planned as part of the backlog grooming. And at that point, we're just starting it. If somebody's gonna be away yeah. and that didn't come up already, that's important to mention because even if it's not a concern of specific skill sets, it's we have one less person for four days of the sprint or something. We just know we can't get down as much work including things like code review. Sometimes code review gets just backed up if you have fewer people around to do code review. Yeah, and yeah, sprint planning, yeah, it's the quickest meetings I've generally gone through now. Uh, if you do grooming effectively, planning becomes super easy. Um, so let's move on to grooming. Grooming is probably the, it's like the uh, moving dirt part of the scrum process. You just have to get it done because if you don't, you get garbage tickets in your sprint. So oftentimes what grooming looks like in practice is there's a backlog of unestimated work. You click on the next ticket and it's just a title, no description. And you look at who there's reporting it and you look at them in the meeting room and say, what is this? And hopefully they have an answer and sometimes they simply don't. And you try to extract requirements from them as much as you can, find out what needs to be done. But the goal of each of those interactions is to come out with an estimate of how much, if you're doing estimates in part, as part of your grooming and not part of your uh, sprint planning, um, come out with an estimate for the ticket and requirements. So that'll be acceptance criteria and stories. So stories are something like, as a user, I go to this screen and can see a list of all my whatevers. Uh, Acceptance criteria might be something like uh, after performing this database or this data migration, all legacy data has been ported over to this updated location. You now know for if you're QA later on the line, okay, if I don't, if I see any missing legacy data, it does not meet acceptance criteria, that sort of thing. It'll be more specific than that, but generally those are the types of things you're looking for. And then those tickets can get are ready to be loaded into the sprint. But if they sneak through, you end up with garbage tickets that ends up wasting a bunch of time. Because if you, as a developer, especially if you aren't in those meetings, go to drag a ticket into in progress, and you click on it looking for details and it's just a title, usually there's not much you can do unless it's you know change this typo in this UI to not be a typo. Those things you can figure out, but a lot of times you just, you don't know what it is and you then have to go back and forth with stakeholders. And if they're on vacation, like you mentioned, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, although my favorite thing about grooming is uh, publicly shaming the people who just <laughs> put title and nothing in the ticket. Um, I think we talked about in a documentation episode yeah. or something where it's like, please, please, put information in your tickets and don't link Slack links, put the content from the Slack message in the ticket. Too much documentation is not a bad thing. Um, so it's it just was my favorite thing during all grooming meetings. Anytime a ticket just had a title, 
I just feel like so and then most of the times the reporter field is auto populated which is yeah. great so I just feel like can you write that that, that was <laughs> the tone and the message and it's like and then anytime we would have a retro I, my complaint would always be can we make a team rule to not if you you cannot add a ticket to even the backlog unless it has a body um, it's just yeah it was one of my pet peeves and it was more frustrating because my manager wrote this like cute little bot where every time you just created a new ticket it would add a template to the body of the acceptance criteria everything so half the work was done for you all you had to do was just go in and write stuff which is not that hard if you just do it uh, so yeah so it was frustrating and annoying and uh, and I loved pointing it out you just be like can you do this <laughs> why, why isn't the information there or if there's duplicate tickets of um, the same task they're just like hey there we need two tickets for this and they're like why it looks exactly the same work uh, unless it's logically different or code different code wise it should be just one ticket and then you merge them and it's fun yeah grooming is like one of my favorite ones for just shaming and the people <laughs> part when it's not I'm my tickets. I'm seeing a here yeah. <laughs> all your readings <laughs> are about about shaming <laughs> yeah because if not then you're just sitting there while like all these people discuss all these different tickets that have nothing to do with you um, so you just sit there. Yeah, I haven't. I think it's called refinement, backlog refinement. Now, yeah. As opposed to grooming. Yeah. It j just popped in my so. head. But I haven't been in one of those meetings in a long time now. Uh, I don't know why I got removed from them at some point, but my team apparently is doing fine without me, and I'm okay with it. So yeah. it saves a bunch of time and me trying to extract requirements from people and annoying them. So. My manager used to do this awesome thing where he would send out a Google form beforehand of all the tickets that don't have an estimate and then everybody just votes and he updates the story points accordingly mm -hmm. to the votes and if they don't have a content then you could you know then everybody on the team knows now this ticket doesn't have a body so you go at it and then we our backlog grooming meetings were just all optional so that if the Google form had enough responses and things made sense, he would just cancel it. Uh, if not, we'd just sit there and be like, all right, let's get this out. Uh, some people reported one, some people said five for this one ticket, let's see mm -hmm. why. Um, and that was the most efficient way of running grooming that I've ever experienced, which was great. Efficiency is a beautiful thing, especially with agile ceremonies. Yeah. All right, tell me, looking back on these things, <laughs> Tell me about retro. Retro, I think, is important, uh, or at least it can be. So if you have a good team culture, then retro can be a really valuable meeting. So at the end of each sprint, you have to do something to end it. And that could, if you didn't have a retro meeting at all, it could just be whoever's in charge of managing your JIRA just closing the sprint and starting a new one. Technically that would end the sprint and you'd just start with your new work and you were not part of it at all. But part of the nice thing about doing a sprint retro is that you get a voice or you get a time to voice all of your concerns. And so we do it with 
a Trello board that it's the same board every week. So we can just, as the sprint's going by, I'm the, literally the only person on the team that does this, but you can go into the different columns and do like things that went well, things that didn't go well, remaining questions, and then action items. And so in those first three, anytime during the sprint, you can add cards. And so it's always hard to remember what happened anything earlier than like two days ago. And we have our, our sprints end on Friday, but our, well, technically they end on Monday. So, but the last full day is a Friday and then midday Monday, we do our sprint retro. And so, especially after a weekend, you don't remember anything about the sprint. It's amazing how it just doesn't work with your brain. But if I do it throughout the sprint, then I can say, oh, I just had this nice thing that, you know, if I had a feature I was building out for two months, I can, after it's deployed, I can go in there and be like, that thing finally got deployed and it goes into the went well. Or if we had a really successful, efficient meeting, be like, this went really well and this is why I think it went, went well, we should do it again. Or if I have questions or concerns, add those things. And then when we get into sprint retro, we just walk through the columns. We're like, all right, here's some things that went well, start off strong, uh, and then go into what should we do better? And if there are any things to do better, those get moved into action items. And we've had a lot of really good things come of that uh, because my team is very okay with being honest with each other about things that are going well and not going well. But I've been on teams where that's not the case and there's really no point if, it's, if, it's, if you're not going to try something different or take constructive feedback in a way that's constructive, they are, again, just a waste of time. So if you, if you don't have a team culture of trying to get better with each sprint, honestly, you could probably just do away with sprint retro. But if you have a good culture of it, it can be really valuable. So even just small iterations, because one of the ways that you'll often do these sorts of things with sprints is you'll say, all right, we'll try that for the next sprint, or we'll try that for two sprints. And I thought I, thought I was gonna have a good example, but I think one of them that we tried was walking the board during stand-up. So instead of going through by people, it's just like, all right, let's just go through the board. Here's your different tickets. It went really well. And then our team, we added one or two more people and then the board became too big. And so we went back to people, but because of the way that Jira filters work, we started just using them by you click on one person at a time through the top and then it just filters to their board. So it essentially became walk the board per person and that worked really well. Uh, at least kept things very predictable in stand-up. So little things like that. Hey, let's try this thing and see if it works better. Let's try this thing where not everybody goes to this meeting and see if everybody just gets confused or if it's actually a good way to do things. And because again, you've got this preset amount of time, two weeks or one week or whatever. If it doesn't work, you just go back to something else and you pr propose a different idea in your sprint, re uh, sprint retro. Yeah, yeah, the all great points. The only thing I want to touch on is a lot of times teams feel like retro should be anonymous. So when they'll have the retro board, it'll have anybody can write what went well and what they can improve uh, within the team. The only problem is whatever you write, when they come to the point, there's generally a pause of who wrote this, uh, which defeats the whole anonymity problem uh, the or the potential for it. Um, but 
But I, so that's why I find like the point you said of having a good team culture is extremely important because if you don't feel if you don't feel good enough to come up to your team and say we did this crappily and we need to make it better um, then maybe there's something wrong in the team culture and then you just need a good project manager or scrum master who can actually take those anonymous things and try to do something better from the team's perspective. Yeah, because I, I definitely was in a team pretty recently-ish where I just didn't feel very comfortable speaking about anything, so I just didn't. And I just went to my manager and was like, I, can I go back to this other team? Because uh, I, don't, I don't want to work on this team anymore. And he did the work for me. Even though the team was good and everything was fine, I just, just didn't feel, feel very included. So I just didn't provide any feedback. Um, but make sure that's not the case for your team. Uh, unless you have the flexibility like me, then yeah, just switch teams. Easy work, easy <laughs> money. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I feel retros are very, very important, uh, especially because you get to hear from other team members of what they think or what they thought went well. I think went well is my favorite part uh, of all sprint retros because then you're just like celebrating many successes, all everyone together. Um, but yeah do better as long if there is no accountability for the do better that's when they're useless for yeah, yeah so i actually have something we changed recently so it was one of my points on one of the cards for the questions or concerns or something i roughly put if the purpose of a system is what it does the purpose of our system is not to get tickets done that are in the sprint do we want this to be the case or not and we had to have a candid discussion with the team of do we want to prioritize work in the sprint? Uh, this is something I want to get into of like my actual gripes because we've been talking about ceremonies, but there are actual fundamental issues with how these processes work uh, where we would load all this work into the sprint and a small fraction of it would get worked on, not even get completed. A small fraction would get worked on. And I'm like, this has happened sprint after sprint after sprint. Do we want this to be the case? Yes or no? Because it, if we don't, we need to change something. And so one of the things that ended up being the action item from that, uh, after, it took some discussion. I don't really know why it took me this long to come up with the idea, but like later in the meeting, I just went, how about this? Every time we pull something in, you have to pull something of at least that size back out. And magically, it made people stop pulling in so many things. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, if I have to take something out of the sprint, suddenly product realizes, Maybe I don't want this thing more than this other thing because I don't know what I have to give up if I tell them to work on this instead. And just having that little bit of punishment for you can't just get more work because it doesn't work that way. Uh, and having reality check, it saved us a ton. We've had two much more successful sprints. They're still a horrible mess if you look at burn down charts. But as far as the actual developers getting to work on tickets, start them and finish them as opposed to start them and then never touch them again for a week and a half. It's been much more successful. So even little ideas like that, if you implement them in a retro or discuss them, come up with little action items on how to try them out, it can be successful. And that was a very recent one for us. That sounds very accurate. It was, yeah. So I do just wanna, do we have another, I guess we have review. I have nothing really to say about review other than more people should do it and 
what I said earlier. So I want to just air my grievances about how this all gets messed up. So there are a few big issues that come up every time I'm on an Agile team. It's happened every single time. And this, I'll start with the one that's every single time. There's always somebody who wants the velocity to be predictable. And they will make us do the dumbest things so that the number of points we complete per sprint is consistent. This is in the face of every one to three sprints. Somebody on the team changes with somebody else because of high churn at the company or high churn on that team or another priority came up in the company and we need to spin off some people into a separate team to go do something really quickly or somebody's on vacation or priorities changed and suddenly we're not building that thing that you thought we, you were building but it can't wait for the end of the sprint because two weeks is too long so we need to start right now and we'll forget about everything you just wasted three or four days working on we're starting the sprint now with this new work all of this stuff means that you're not going to get a predictable velocity and i've been forced quote unquote forced to like not do any more work because what the dev team ends up having to do if taken to its logical end which fortunately this is not what happens at telmedic but at pre a previous company i worked at we got to the point where we're like the only way that we can get, be consistent is if we are consistently at the worst we'll ever do, right? Because if you can do 80 points and then on a bad sprint, you do 40 points, the only way to be consistent is to always do 40 points. So we would have, to, and they're like, you need to be able to complete whatever you commit to because that's your commitment and that's how much you need to get done. But also you can't do more because we want it to be uh, consistent. So we would end up loading almost no work, being done, either early or if priority shifted, not getting done, and then our velocity goes down, which means that we have to load even fewer points in the next sprint, and we end up with this constantly decreasing velocity forcibly, because at the end of the sprint, we'd just be sitting there like, we're not supposed to pull in any work, I guess we can start speculating on next sprint, but then that means you don't have work to do next sprint, because you're not allowed to pull in more work next sprint, because the velocity's already been pulled down. And then eventually that company went out of business, so those sorts of things will happen. If you have somebody who's dead set on these stupid practices that they think are like the most important part as opposed to building software, this should all be in the uh, effort to build better software, not to make a graph look good. So if your burn down chart looks bad and you want it to look better next time, remember that the goal is to get good software out the door. Hopefully that's well tested and that's in the direction that you want to go in. Secondarily, if you end up with a consistent team that can produce a consistent velocity, that can create a nice looking burn down chart, that's great. But it requires a lot of things around that that typically don't seem to be a reality. And the second thing that comes up a lot, it's not every team, but this is what I think messes up a lot of that, is there's a big issue on my current team. We have one team that has to do everything. So if if something's on fire, we can't work on sprint work because it's on fire and we have to go put it out. If a new uh, escalation comes in and we have to suddenly prioritize this new work, sprint work gets put on the back burner. 
if there's a hotfix that has to go out, my time as the release manager, that it's a big commitment to get a even a hotfix out because we have to speed this through QA. We have to make sure the build is the one we actually think it is. Have to do a coordination with product to make sure they know what's going out. Tell them, no, you're not getting everything you want in this hotfix. Get that out and then do a, a release doc that says this is what we released, this is when we released it, this is how we released it, and now it's good. Is everybody happy? Yes, all right, cool. So every time those come up, it takes away from sprint work. Whereas what you need to have for a consistent velocity and a dependable sprint, uh, scrum team is a team that's isolated from all those problems where they can work on sprint work because that's what they're committing to. But in the reality, we're always committing to sprint work plus who knows what else because nobody can predict what else is going to happen in the whole rest of the company. But if you don't have a team that's the team responsible for putting out fires when they come up or a team that's responsible for doing support work or a team that's responsible for this new you know, exploratory research into some other feature that you're looking to build in the upcoming sprints, whatever it is, if you don't have those things separated and one team doing everything, then at least one out of every three or four sprints is going to be totally thrown out the window. And for us, it's every sprint. So we'll load X number of points and we'll get a fifth of that done because everything else was being worked on. It just, it doesn't make any sense again. <laughs> I, I feel you. <laughs> uh, and then we'll have burn down charts. They'll start going down in the first three days and then go back up and then just flatlined. You know, like we ended with more points than we started with, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we get a ton of work done. So it'll, the funny thing is it'll be like total amount of work done, you know, 212 points. But we started at 198 and ended at 202 or something like that. You know, like we're just doing Kanban at this point, but <laughs> splitting it into two week <laughs> intervals. So it's very frustrating oh the other thing the bugs okay all right everybody this is a public service announcement to everybody this is something i'm actually passionate about all right so if you build a feature and you said it was going to take eight points and that feature was dog water it was just hot garbage and you shipped it and there was a ton of bugs in it and it comes back with a bunch of bugs, bug reports. You cannot go giving those bugs a bunch of points and then putting like five and then three and then another five worth of points. That feature, therefore, was not eight points. It was 11, 21 points, but you called it eight, which means that the next time that your product team looks at your projected work that you're going to get done, which again, this is all idiotic because none of it's real. They're going to look at it and say, oh, they've got this feature. It's also eight points. They finished this other feature in two days. So surely they can build four of those features in the next sprint. That's not going to be a problem. But it was because it wasn't, it wasn't eight points. It was 21 points because half of it was buggy and garbage and you rushed it out the door. So, first of all, hopefully you have development bugs. We have them on our team and they're great. So if a 
ticket goes to QA and it is in the initial cycle where that work hasn't been completed yet, it just the ticket just gets kicked back and then you just keep working on it until it's done. But if it gets through QA and then gets to a build that you're going to ship and it gets put onto the QA environment and then something related to that ticket is found to be a bug or a new regression pops up, those are now development bugs. So those get kicked back and they're never allowed to have points because they are new regressions. You introduce them as part of the sprint. You don't get points for those, which in other words means either estimate your work high enough that you can put actual effort into it and not write a bunch of bugs, or now you have to make up for the fact that you wrote crappy code that you rushed and you have to actually get it done, which is good because it slows you down and gives you a realistic velocity. Because the argument I've heard is people say, well, it's gonna drag down our velocity. I'm like, it should. Because if you say you're going to get all these points done and it's 88 points of hot garbage, but you could have done 50 points and done it well, then do those 50 points well. So now you're just paying for that tech debt that you introduced with zero points. And so this is why I think generally, pretty much all bugs should be unestimated and you shouldn't get points for it. Because at one time, that, those were points that should have just been included in the original feature. And if you're double dipping on all that stuff, it's incentivizing bad code, especially if you're in a team that's making all these mistakes I'm talking about with chasing the numbers, because, oh, if I rush this out, I can get eight points for it, and then later I can get five more points for it for all the bugs. It's great. Yeah, it sounds great. I, how, how do you become important in a team? By showing you can do a lot of work. How do you show that? By doing bad work, so you have to do fixes and make it Ugh, good. So frustrating. Instead of just saying, I can do good work in a small amount of time, you say, I can do bad work in a smaller amount of time and then take longer to fix those than I could have just done in a mean amount of time of those in the first yeah. place. Yeah, and everybody has to review your crappy code afterwards and fight with you about why didn't you just do this the first time? Did you even test your code? This is how I feel lately when I've had some of the bug reports that I've seen come in. Like there's not even any tests on the, like no test was written for this. This is insane. So. Very upset. Freaking agile. It's so good and so bad at the same time. <laughs> just like yeah. life. <laughs> agile is just like life. <laughs> agile is just like life. Is life like a waterfall? No. It's like agile. Of Sometimes it's extreme programming, but most <laughs> of the time it's just agile. Of the two, I'd say <laughs> life is more like agile than a waterfall. <laughs> Unless you're one of those people who believes their whole life is completely written out and you're just executing right, it. Right, determined. Then it's waterfall. Right. Yeah. Which I'm not. At least not, not, you yeah, can not tell. practically speaking. I speak on behalf of all our seven listeners according to the metrics that you <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, crap. I had one more thing I wanted to add. Oh. So tied in with this is always a discussion of, because the agile version of operations is like DevOps and CI CD. And that's always tied in as part of the so-called culture 
of an agile development process. And we're currently in this weird fractured state on my team where we have to ship, at least currently, ship releases so that we can provide these detailed release notes on what's going out. And that means we have to coordinate different services, say what is going to be shipped, when it's going to be shipped, et cetera. And then we ship it and then let everybody know. But ideally, what you're doing is these really small snippets of code that go out. So you get these, because the idea being people are, so people get scared of frequent releases, but that's because they think of all releases as being really big. And at least what proponents of this style, continuous delivery, will argue is that smaller changes means smaller bugs and less bugs. So more frequent releases aren't as scary as less frequent, bigger releases because they have a smaller footprint. And if you have these smaller releases, they're less likely to introduce massive, disgusting bugs, which means that they, it's okay to release them frequently. Plus, if you're in the habit of releasing frequently, you can fix things frequently. So you can fail forward much more, more quickly. Um, we're working on that and everybody agrees on my, uh, on my team that we want to get there. We're making these, again, iterative improvements and uh, we actually have made a lot of progress despite my lack of faith over the last few months. Uh, I was there for a year and nothing changed and then the last few months things have started changing. So I am starting to become more optimistic there, but I don't have too much to say about that, just that it's part of it because I feel like I left it, if I left it out entirely, it'd be a bit of a, a gap. So feel free to weigh in on that at all if you have anything to add to the DevOps CI CD side. No, I've never really worked on a team where like DevOps and or CI CD was properly accounted for during sprints. Yeah. It was just, oh, it's ops. It's black magic. <laughs> I'll take care of it. I'm like currently on a team which is all ops almost. And still we have so many problems on deciding how work gets divided and how to get things done. And it's just, so I'm hoping in my new team where there's a lot of ops, <laughs> pretty much all ops, uh, there is a solution to this because I haven't found one. It's very much developer or and or feature focused, but sprints and all this work never really takes an account of all the infrastructure and baseline that you have to establish to achieve those Thank numbers. Thank you, Ray, even. Um, exactly, yeah. And so, yeah. If I if I ever find out, Sounds I'll good. let you know. So something something that we yeah. do that I was very skeptical of. It's just my role at this point. Just be skeptical of everything. But I can. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I agree. I didn't think this was gonna work at all. And now that we've gotten to the uh, some necessary threshold, some breaking point where it's become obviously so valuable, was you know how you have all your unit and integration tests in alongside your code? Well, we essentially duplicated a lot of that into a separate service that just runs automation testing, but it runs it as a API consumer. And so we have an account in our QA environment that is manually configured. Each test, so I, I helped with setting up the pattern for this a little bit, so I kind of know how it's still working, but I know things have changed since then. But the general idea was each test would say, Outside of the the automated configuration here, we also set up these things manually. 
So say that you can see in the test it's creating two users and then having one message the other, something like that. Maybe it would say like manually we set up these message types in the platform and then you include like their IDs or whatever in their fixture files. Well, we've got it set up so that this automation suite can run against dev. So the devs can write automation against the dev environment. Then QA can set up their own test data, whatever manual data they need to set up with their own fixture. That gets shipped separately. And then you can just say, I want to run this entire test suite against dev or against QA. And then a nice side effect of that is integration tests and unit tests can change from a developer changing the code. So they can go in there and be like, oh, I changed this thing, I'm also gonna change the code. But the separate service doesn't know anything about that. It's just a naive consumer of the APIs. And if they break, the consumer says a regression occurred and I did this thing that I used to be able to do and now I can't do it. And it has been so useful. So it has the occasional random failure where it's either a human error where something was changed on that account that shouldn't have been or something. But again, you can look and see manually, we configured these things like this and you look at it and it's different. You go, oh, it was supposed to be like this. Let me just put it back. Um, so it's easy to track down that way or there'll just be the occasional random failure where something went wrong and we're not sure why and then eventually the QA automation engineer tells us, yeah, we got it fixed. But this has been shockingly good because it's now covering a vast majority of our public APIs and we can very easily feel comfortable, especially with hot fixes, and say, all right, we're shipping this two-line change in one place, we need QA to cover it manually and then run automation against it. And if there's no regressions across the entire set of APIs that this covers, we're pretty confident that this hotfix is not gonna introduce regressions. And it was manually tested in that narrow slice by QA, which means that we can get hotfixes especially through a much, much more quickly without having all this extra time and commitment from QA. So I, again, I was skeptical because I'm like, we already have all these tests written in our code. Why would we care about duplicating it? But having it duplicated and with managed by a separate person has been really great. So if you're skeptical like I was, maybe don't be. Was? I'm always skeptical, but not about, not about that service yeah, anymore. Now I'm, a now I'm a believer. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah. Okay, now you're just skeptical uh, yeah, of other things. exactly. Alright. <laughs> I was very skeptical about our feature flags and now we're doing feature flag driven development and I've written the most new feature flags for new features uh, of, of recent and I'm a big proponent of it right now because now we can ship releases that do nothing and it's excellent. You ship it and then uh, we can actually we shipped one where it was across two different services so I wrote the doc on like these are the rules for feature driven or feature flag driven development for our team everybody had to agree because I was in a meeting and I was the only one that wrote it down. I was like, all right, I'll put it in the doc and we can all agree to it. And uh, one of them was like, if they're cross services, we have to put it behind a feature flag. And that way we can deploy the services in whatever order we want. And the fun part was explaining to product, I know we shipped that service, but the other service that it depends on hasn't been shipped yet, so you can't turn on that feature, sorry. And uh, it was great because now they didn't have to tell us, all right, well, you have to release that other service. We're like, it's not going out yet. Sorry. We'll let you know when it's out and then you can turn on the feature. And because it's all behind feature flags, it doesn't matter. 
Yeah. It's half out. Yeah, which is the same as not. Yeah. All or that's nothing. Right. So that's it for me. Holy smokes. I could probably ra- probably rant yeah. some more. This was something I've had on my topics list for a long time that we've kicked down the road. Tune in for V2. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Well, <laughs> um, all right. If, if that's all you have, I would like to present the manifesto. Oh, wow. Okay. Sure. Wrap sure, it sure, up sure. Nicely yeah. with the bow. Uh, it is not the exact language because I wrote it in bullet <laughs> forms. Um, but you'll get the, you'll get the okay. message. Um, the first one is individuals and interactions over process okay. and tools. That sounds very familiar. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, trust trust people and the things you talk about, then whatever's in Jira or Slack. Um, of course, you would update that too. But in case you don't, trust the humans, hopefully. Um, working software over documentation. So instead of just writing down how things should work, if things work, people are happier. Uh, so make it work. Don't make it dog, eat food, garbage, whatever. <laughs> dog water? Before. <laughs> Dog water. There you go. Thank you. Um, customer collaboration over contract negotiation. So try to provide that hashtag value so that you know your customers get whatever whatever they are supposedly paying for. And responding to problems over following a plan mm. is the final one. Where yeah, be agile. You know, such a meta definition. It's in there. It's like recursion. But better. <laughs> Linguistic con- recursion. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. now everybody knows exactly what Agile is after you gave those bullet points. <laughs> Somewhere Uncle Bob mm-hmm. is very happy. Uncle Bob is always I think happy. that's actually but now the opposite. He doesn't seem like a very happy guy. <laughs> well, now Maybe he, he just has an angry demeanor. Maybe he just needs to do better. Could be that too. He's usually yeah, the... which reminds me. <laughs> Go for it. I've been talking a lot. What are you going to do better on? I'm going to make you talk Sheesh. more. All right. So <laughs> things I did better on. I said I was going to spend four hours on the AWS course. I only spent three. And one of my do-betters for next week... Yeah, show's over. Um, one of my do-betters <laughs> for next week is to either fully commit to this course or pick a Postgres course, so like a database-specific course, uh, because I think in the short term, that's where my interest is, and I'm having a really hard time paying attention to this developer course. So I'm going to continue pushing through because I'm still kind of in the review session, section that overlaps with the uh, solutions architect stuff quite a bit. So it might just be for that reason, but I don't know. I'm going to push through a bit more, and if I can't get into it and I can't focus, it's going to be really hard for me to actually remember this stuff, and I may as well move into whatever I'm more curious about and think I'll get more immediate value from, which is going to be database optimizations and things in general, but specifically, yeah, specifically Postgres, it's what every team I've worked on has used, so it makes sense to go that route. Uh, Something else I did better was I asked my friend what song I should learn on guitar, and he said I should learn Classico by Tenacious D. And it's essentially just three different class, uh, classical songs um, smashed together and then Jack Black sings over top of it. 
So I've been working on that. And so I've been playing a little bit of Johann Bach. And that's about as far as I've gotten is just the first verse. But it's been fun. It's pretty hard, but making some progress. So for next week, I'm going to continue learning that. And something I, the final thing I did better on was I did message one young lady on Hinge. And my do better for next week is message more. So literally my do betters are the same as last week, except the caveat being either commit to that AWS course fully or pick a different one. The other things are exactly the same. Uh, and that's it. Wow. I mean, if you remove the filter of them being young ladies, uh, then you can probably message a lot more. <laughs> I always feel weird because people are all uptight these days about what you call women. Like, I just want to say girls, and I think that's fine. That's because true. I had this I had this weird moment where I was trying to exp tell the story to my mom about this girl I met at Bulk Barn like two years ago. But I said, like, there's this woman, and because of the way that language works, she pictured an older woman. Because when you say woman, it's somebody at least 10 years your senior. And if you say girl, it's somebody your age. And if you say little girl or kid or child, it's clearly a kid or a child. And if you say young lady, it's just generic stranger in their 20s or 30s, something like that. And I was like, this is dumb. Because I was working at a company at that time where they were very sensitive to saying girls and I'd gotten out of the habit of it. But realistically, at the same time, I would say guys, I would just say girls. Like I wouldn't say, I was chatting to this man if he was my age. Because then people would be like, is this like an old man? Like, no, he's just a guy, a male human. So anyway, I, mean, I have all these weird I think that's the better way. Habits now, the language. I'm all messed up by 2020. You should just go even further, just be like, yeah, that Homo erectus <laughs> I spoke to. <laughs> right. <laughs> homo erectus, sorry, not hummus. Uh, yeah. Hummus. Hummus. That hummus <laughs> I talked to. Just completely go next level. Just, it's been like that future grave or cremation I spoke wow. to. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's I don't better. Know. I think I should just stick with... That grown-up placenta fetus I spoke what to. What are you going to do better next week, again? <laughs> um, well, let's, before we can look in the future, let's look All at right. the past. So what I did better was I said I'm going to buy a yeah. stand desk. Guess what I did? I Holy bought a stand smokes. desk. I should check about the tracking info because I haven't looked at it since I placed the order, but I don't know. In some time, it should be here. <laughs> um... <laughs> I have no clue. It just said it would ship within two or three business days. It didn't say how long it'll take to okay. deliver. Um, and I started working on my family schedule. Right. So I've divided it into three categories of people I would need to call once a week, people I could call twice a week, like once every two weeks, and then once a month. And then anybody who doesn't fall into those three categories, I'll just talk to them whenever I do normally talk to them anyways. Um, on do better is so this is my final week at the company I'm working at right now and there is a lot of work uh, but while I was doing that I also realized there's a lot of documentation I can write about things that I necessarily haven't sort of done but would be helpful to the team 
Um, so I'm gonna sort of make that a do better. I'm gonna write that, uh, even though I dislike writing confluence pages and docs. Um, I want to be a semi-decent <laughs> human being. Uh, so I'm gonna try to write that so that when I leave, they remember me as the guy who wrote documentation, which he didn't need to write it for. Hashtag nice. humility. Uh, and after that, I'm just gonna relax. I'm going on this road trip with this weird dude, and which I haven't fully planned out yet. Um, I had, and it got it burned to the ground. <laughs> it shifted. Yeah, some part of it burned down, and so now I have to just replan. Yeah. You know, yeah. adjust. Yeah. Good luck. So those are my do betters. I have nothing else because, yeah, next all of next week I'm just going to be in a car, be somewhere in nature be out my normal routine and see what life has to offer wow. you know sounds great yeah it is great i agree good yeah so if anybody has any feedback you know we're agile give it to us send it to our many different ways we receive input from and this is this is like the yeah, one thing know. that you can actually send me a message about because uh, i'm curious if everybody disagrees with me very aggressively or if they're like yeah boy preach yeah even if you don't disagree just piss Nathan off just send him just tell them waterfall is the best or Kanban and just oh, Kanban is probably the way to go I think Kanban gets rid of, oh, gets rid of all the crap <laughs> that Scrum has <laughs> no ceremonies yeah. everything's in a board just keep... do the work yes. you can yes it's reality it's the reality <laughs> of Scrum that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.